The Whiskey Holler, an inside look at what it takes to run a distillery from the grain in the field to the cocktails at your party. Come join me, Gary Lee, every week as I talk with leading experts on every step of the whiskey trail. All right, hey everyone, it's Gary Lee. Welcome back to The Whiskey Holler, your inside look at Real Craft Spirits. This week, I've got some special guests on the line. I have Mike McConnell, the Communications Director for the Missouri Department of Public Safety, or DPS, and Keith Hendrickson, the Acting Supervisor for the Missouri Alcohol and Tobacco Control, or ATC. So, gentlemen, I want to first thank you for the opportunity for the interview, and I'm sure that there will be a lot of craft distillers that will get a better understanding of what it looks like in terms of working with both seasoned new professionals in the spirits manufacturing industry. Thanks, Gary. This is Mike, and thanks for this opportunity. This is the first podcast that that Keith and I have ever done, and uh, we're looking forward to it as a a neat learning experience. Yeah, podcasts are are new to me. I've done a few blogs, and they're they're all geared towards, you know, military and military life. So as I've transitioned out of the military and and into making whiskey, uh, I want to take that documentation with me. So I had a little trouble finding both of your bios on the ATC website. So anyway, you could give us a quick snapshot of of your background uh, with your prospective departments. Go for it, Keith. Okay. You want me to go first? Sure. Gary, my name is Keith Hendrickson. I currently am the Acting Division Director for Alcohol and Tobacco Control. I've been with the division for over 30 years. I've always worked in the enforcement section. I started as an agent back in the 1980s, uh, worked my way up uh, to my present position. Uh, primarily what I deal with, uh, as our division deals with, as I know you know, uh, is to, to regulate the sale and manufacture of alcoholic beverages in the state. We issue all the permits for that. We collect the taxes. But we also do the regulatory work for that as well. And uh, this is Mike. I used to be a TV reporter. I've been with the Department of Public Safety uh, in a communications capacity for eight years, and I work with not only ATC, but the State Emergency Management Agency, Capitol Police, Fire Safety, Highway Patrol. And then I just try to facilitate getting information uh, from our various agencies so that the public can understand it, and I can try to communicate to the public in more general terms than some of the specialized phrases that you might hear with ATC in particular. Gotcha, gotcha. So I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase what, we, uh, what we've we said. We've got, Keith, you really handle the, the down the dirty, the details of uh, compliance with the Missouri laws as it relates to the alcohol tobacco control. And if anybody has any questions, Mike, you're the person that can turn that into plain English. Does that sound about uh-huh. right? I try, <laughs> and okay. with a lot of help from Keith and his staff. And then I can be somebody that if people have questions and they want to reach out, they can uh, come to me, and I'll try to get them in touch with the right people. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, you know, when I got in touch with you, I, I got bounced around a couple times because they wanted to make sure I got to the right person, and, and you were very helpful in getting all this set up. So just want you to know that I really appreciate it. Now, I'd like to put this topic into perspective. You know, what did the craft spirits industry look like in Missouri, let's say, 15 years ago or 12 years ago versus today? Um, What type of a shift are you guys seeing at at your level? And and I was able to talk to uh, some of Keith's staff and run some numbers so that 
what we're talking about here is the LML, LMS license, Liquor Manufacturer Solicitor, is how it's uh, handled in the state of Missouri. So back in fiscal year 2006, there were four of these liquor manufacturer licenses in the state. And in fiscal 2016, we had 35. So that's quite a bit of growth. And then you, I just checked the numbers uh, just this morning. And so for currently, which we're already in fiscal year 2017, obviously, it's up to 39. So there has been um, obviously significant growth there going from a four uh, 10 or 11 years ago to now 39 today uh, licensees in in this particular category. Yeah, that's that's pretty significant. That's you know times 10 in a in a very short amount of time. Exactly. Yeah, this, I think it's similar. And Keith would know more uh, about this than me. Is just similar. Maybe it's delayed a few years from the the craft and microbrewing. Uh, industry where the public is interested and there are people who are interested in getting out into this business and trying something that's more unique and uh, uh, appealing to a mass audience, but uh, trying different things. There's, if you go into the, you know, the beer section of your liquor store or the, um, uh, supermarket, you'll see you know, the number of craft beers, but you'll also see so many more different uh, varieties of distilled beers. Yeah, I've heard of like on that. Seems like in the last ten years or so, there's been a, a lot more interest generated from the public about the, the small craft distilleries and the craft breweries. Uh, it seems like that mostly uh, the interest is certainly deep on it, but it's a lot more than it was you know, 15, 20 years ago. Hey gentlemen, we are we're breaking up a little bit. Keith, can you yeah. start over on the on your last response, please? Sure. I agree with the in the uh, the uh, increase in the market share for the craft distilleries. Seems like in the last ten years or so, uh, we've had a lot of uh, interest, a lot more inquiries about the craft market and craft distilleries more so fifteen or twenty years ago. Yeah, and, and I've I've had people mention, and you'll see it kind of in the blogosphere that you know the craft spirits industry has really followed along a very similar path as as your your craft beer industry, which you know back in the 70s uh, and, and 80s, you know the craft or you know small scale wine production was was on its way up too. So there's kind of a trend that this isn't really something new, and I'm guessing it's something that you know the state of Missouri's has seen before. This isn't actually new news it's just a new industry yeah exactly and you've seen that same trend with some of the numbers on on wine uh, as you as you mentioned and everybody you know I'm 55 and think of how things have changed from um you know 30 years ago where people thought about you know red wine or white wine uh and now you've got people you know knowing all kinds of different Varieties and specialties of wine, and that's that's happening a little bit later now with uh, spirits, but it's really taking hold, uh, and you see that uh, everywhere—not just in big cities, but in smaller locations where there 
people have more refined taste and understanding and a, a genuine interest in learning about this and wanting to experience and try different things. So it's it's, it's kind of neat. So absolutely. And so you know we've definitely seen an uptick. Any ideas or, or estimates what this t- means uh, in terms of revenue for the state of Missouri? Yeah, and I I ran some numbers with the uh, the ATC folks. So we talked about the fact that there were. Um, in 2006, there were four LMS licenses in the state. Back then, the revenue on the excise taxes was about a uh, million dollars. And now, last year, the most recent fiscal year that we have, it was over two and a half million. So you could see that um, that's you know it's more than doubled. Um, so it's not the same type of growth that you see in terms of the number of licenses, but obviously the uh, the revenue collections, the excise tax collections, uh, have way more than doubled. Well, that's fantastic. You know, that's how, uh, that's how schools get built and how roads get paved and, and all that great stuff. Now, I, I have a question here. Just to the east of us in Kentucky, you know, the Bourbon Trail, it brings in millions of dollars in tourism revenue annually. And so with that in mind, do we have any guesses as to what the tourism impact is for Missouri? Or are there any plans in implementing something similar in the states, such as maybe a Missouri whiskey trail? I I was talking to our folks over at tourism, and uh, they've got a site that's not, you know, a whiskey trail. But if you go to the tourism website for the state, it's called Visit Mo. So visitmo.com. And then at the search bar up at the top, you would type in distillery. You type in the type of thing that you're looking for. In this case, it would be distillery. Now, that will take you to a page that currently there are seven locations that are listed that are open to the public and that have a you know a description along with some hours. And uh, this gave us a good opportunity to talk with a tourism uh, about this this very concept, so uh, that's out there for somebody to, to check out, and it's great to know that the folks at uh, the tourism department for the state are aware of this trend. I mean, there's also craft uh, beers and also wineries, but but this is now something that you can at least check on the website, and and that visitors to our state can check out. And I'll give you my email address. So if anybody wants to make sure that they're aware of that, I can put them in touch with the tourism people. All right. Fantastic. And I'll make sure I get your contact info at the end of the interview. So I have a, I have another question for you. You know, I'm actually a small scale distiller myself. And one of the questions that I've I've gotten whenever people come do a tour is, you know, how come you don't hand out cheese or crackers or, you know, little food samples uh, whenever we do tastings? Uh, you know, I have to explain to them that you know, Missouri Law just doesn't allow for it, and uh, that's it. I, I haven't really looked too far into it, but I know that we don't do things without reason. Is there any backstory for, for why that is? Well, yeah, I, I think I can hit the good thing, Gary. Our position is if it's if the it all really depends on where this activity is taking place. 
if it's going to be on your manufacturer's premise, your premise, rather than somewhere else like another retailer's premise, I think you, I don't think we have any objection to you giving wine and cheese or crackers away. Uh, you're allowed to do that. Uh, the restriction comes into play when you, if you would do the tasting on somebody else's retail premise. So you're going to the grocery oh, store. I got you. That's where the restrictions kick in. It, and so on your on your manufacturing side, on your own side, or all pay to license premise, uh, uh, you can do whatever you want. We, we don't have any re- restrictions with that. It's just if you would go to somebody else's retail license that you don't are in connection with, uh, that's where those incentives would come into play. Okay, so that just sounds like a like a misconception, and uh, you know me trying to make sure that I'm I'm doing the right thing. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd rather. Uh, Air on the side of caution than than the other otherwise. So that really just that, that really makes sense then. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I agree with that. I'd rather you err on the side of caution as well. Uh, but anytime you have any questions like that, please contact our office. We will be glad to clarify those things. Uh, sometimes I realize our rules and guidelines can be a bit confusing depending on how they're written, and we're more than happy to clarify those issues with you. Absolutely, and. I'm hoping that some of my fellow uh, distillers here in Missouri listening on this one, because this was uh, uh, something that was mentioned at a little trade show that we had in in uh, Springfield a, a few weeks back. You know, they're saying they don't don't really offer uh, samples, and I thought, well, you know, that's a that's a good question. But anyways, moving on. Uh, in the interest of you know fiscal responsibility, there are only so many people and resources that can be allocated to you know handling it. The excise tax emissions, new permits, uh, label registrations, et cetera. How has the ATC handled this growth? Well, so far, the the growth has been negligible. We've been able to handle it in-house without adding uh, too many additional personnel. Uh, It has went up percentage-wise dramatically, but the total numbers still aren't significant to really justify additional personnel at this time. Now, that doesn't mean in the future we won't, won't, won't be needing it. But so far, we've been able to handle that at least adequately. Oh, fantastic. And I know that here just recently, Missouri, they changed their electronic system for processing monthly submissions. And uh, it's it's a pretty user-friendly system. I have no problems with it. Was there any growing pains on your end making that switch? I think there's always growing pains, but uh, it was just getting people accommodated or getting used to going from a manual system, which we had traditionally used for the last 80 years, to going getting into the modern electronic age. Uh, that was really the only problems we had. We, we really, it was fairly seamless. We had very few problems. It was just making sure people got accustomed to doing it electronically rather than doing the manual submissions. And that there were some growing pains with that, but it was minor. And I think that the reception from the people who have to use the system now that they're familiar with it, it has been very positive. This this makes things much easier and uh, consistent, and uh, everybody I think everybody's really adapted well to it. Yeah, it's like I said, I I like it. It's a little bit easier to use than the Pay.gov system, and uh, it's easy to pull up your your historical stuff. Uh, you know what you've you've submitted, and uh, it's a great tool. Now there's Something else I'd like to hit you guys up about. Now, there are a lot of forums and write-ups on the blogosphere on, on working with TTB and state agencies, and, and they're mostly gripes. Most most of it's pretty one-sided and doesn't take into consideration what it looks like from the other end. Uh, 
So what do you think the number one gripe is of your staff when processing new LMS applications or uh, certifying labels for brand registration? And, and Keith and I were talking with staff about this uh, just this morning. And so one of the uh, the key things as far as the license, uh, excuse me, the label registration is that some people think that because they've got a license that the process is over and they can then start, um, you know, selling. But there is the... Um, label registration, which is a, a key factor, and there, that, that's something that could be misunderstood. And one of the things that ATC then will, you know, can notice this is that uh, taxes start coming in from a licensee, but a label wasn't registered. And so that's when they then have to reach out and, and touch base with the person. So it would just be, and now this is something that's solved as the process goes on, but for the person who's new in this, this is one of the um, probably the most common mistake is thinking that after you get the license that um, the process, you know, you've, you've done everything and the process is over. I see. So what you're saying is, is people, they, they get their license with the state and they say, okay, well, I guess I'm I'm good to go. And, and Missouri's saying, we have no idea what you're selling. You need to tell us what it is that you have. Is that a pretty good translation? Yeah, Keith, and Keith's probably got a little bit more insight on that. No, I I agree. That is exactly right, Gary. Uh, There's some misconceptions with people. We try to inform the public or the people as they come in for license applications once those are granted, kind of with the basics with them. Uh, But sometimes there's a disconnect, and they don't always realize there's other steps once you do get your license. They understand they have to pay their taxes uh, on the the gallons that, that they produce. But, you know, there's also you need to register the brand and the labeling. As you found out, you know, that can be not complex, but it's another step in the process that you you must acquire. You have to go on both the federal and the state level. Absolutely. And it was, you know, even in my experience, I didn't didn't get it right the first time, Uh, you know, and that's something I always tell everybody, uh, plan on, you know, having to go back and and make some changes and – and just be nice to people when you're doing it because it's, it was your mistake, not theirs. Well, we appreciate this opportunity, too, to get some input from a person who's been through the experience and then sharing the thoughts that ATC has with people who are in the business um, because anything that we can do to help people out with a new process uh, is great because that can just expedite it for everybody. Absolutely. Uh, again, I'm, I feel really blessed that I was able to get this interview with you guys. Now, if we could, what, are, what would you say the top three things are that uh, an aspiring distiller could do to expedite his application and make it a, a first-time go uh, with the state? I can throw out one, and then Keith can get in there, is that understand that you need to start at the federal uh, level first, that that's got to be your first step. And um, that's uh, perhaps a little bit more uh, involved process, and it would be to just start at that federal level first. Okay. And I agree with Mike. That's probably the number one issue that I see. Uh, you know, a lot of the applicants that we get, they're, they're really new to the industry. They've never had any experience doing license applications or, the, or dealing with the alcohol industry in general. 
and I think they just forget how heavily regulated that it really is. Uh, you know, then there's certain steps procedure-wise that you need to follow. Uh, what I generally recommend to people is when they first get an interest in going into this industry, uh, simply call our division, talk to one of the agents. They'll be glad to set them down, uh, talk to them one-on-one, and, and kind of guide them through those pitfalls, if you will. Uh, you know, make sure they have a good understanding of what's required at the state level. We can also give them some insight on the federal level as well. Okay. Uh, another thing, too, is to check out the, the website, obviously, and that is ATC dps.mo.gov, and if you click on licensing up at the top, you're going to select, then there's all kinds of different licenses. You're going to select the manufacturing license um, slash solicitor, um, which is on the right, and that's going to take you to, to a page that will walk you through the process there, and there's a little shaded box there that's going to have all of the uh, required documentation. So if you start off the process by going to atc.bps.mo.gov and then clicking on licensing, that will allow you to to see right there in black and white uh, what are the requirements and then the, the, the documents that are key to the process. Yeah, and it's pretty comprehensive. I know that after I got my, my federal permit, uh, you know, I was able to go through the entire, you know, because there's a checklist up there, and it and it's you know very comprehensive. It tells you exactly what you need. And I, I come from a, a military background. I I spent uh, over eight years in the army, and I'm I'm still in the in the National Guard. But you know, with uh, coming from that background, there's always a process and paperwork, and it has to be one step at a time. So. I didn't even look at the state until I got the federal done. And, you know, after the federal uh, application was complete, most of my work for the state application was already done. So it was just a matter of, uh, you know, a few extra things that the uh, state requires. And it was all right there. Good. Yeah, I think that's very, uh, a very good point, Gary, because really the, the hard part, honestly, is, is the TTB. Uh, once you get through that, our stuff is fairly straightforward. And typically, once we receive a state application, most of those are processed within 10 days or less. So it usually doesn't take too long on our end. Yeah, I believe it only took me about 90 days from the time I mailed it off to the time I, I received my permit. So, well, I've only got a few questions left. Now, since since your tenure, and I think, Keith, this is probably more directed towards you, uh, okay. you've seen a lot of changes at both the state and the and the federal level. Uh, maybe you could kind of talk us through, uh, you know, what you've seen and maybe what you see in the works uh, for the near and, and long term. And, of course, you know, this answer is, is hypothetical and, uh, you know, may, may or may not reflect, you know, what the – what what could happen? So this is just kind of, you know, what do you think is coming down the road as far as you know craft distilling and you know changes in the the industry at at your level? You know, at the, at the state level, I think it's a little too early to tell which which direction we're going with a lot of this. I know currently there's there's a lot of potential changes out there, but it's too early to make a judgment on, on a lot of that. Uh, by and large, the statutes and, and the laws governing the craft distilleries have remained very constant over the years. I've been here, they've really changed very little. 
but you know, since the the industry is growing and changing, you know, it's, and that's one thing about the alcohol industry, it's always changing. Uh, it seems as it changes, then the, the life, then, then the statutes and the laws will change as well. So I think it's really it'd be premature for me to answer that one yet, because I sure. really don't feel what direction is going. Sure. Yeah, and that was just kind of more more along the lines. I know that on the at least on the federal side, you know, they've made it to where your your bond requirement has has been re, reduced if you're a small producer, and this is I think more to uh, uh, ease some of their burdens as far as having to process those applications. And uh, they're also, you know, relooking at, you know, COLA or certificate of label uh, requirements. They're going to be opening that for for comments here here pretty soon, so that, you know, as these as the craft distillers are are coming up, they're they're coming up with a lot of very creative things, and and they're having to change or get really creative on how they, you know, turn in their labels to the TTB, and so that's that's. You know what I mean when I'm talking about changes, so and where that question came from. So one more, one more thing. So we're just about done here. But tell us something cool about you. So any hobbies that you like to pursue? One weird fact about Mike and Keith. Uh, for example, I I play bagpipes and I collect wood-fired ceramics. Gary, what did you say? You collect what? Wood-fired ceramics. Wood-fired ceramics. That, that, that is different. That I is. That is. It's <laughs> not a not a common thing here. Very very popular in Japan, but not so much in the United States. Okay. Well, I will certainly share with you. I, I have the usual hobbies. I like to fish. I like to hunt. I particularly like to bird hunt. Uh, that's that's one of my one in the off season. That's what I like to do. So that would probably be my my, my strangest hobby at this point. The only thing I could tell you that I find interesting is that uh, after about a half hour discussing uh, spirits, uh, I don't know anything about uh, you know distinguishing the taste and the flavors. Uh, it just the, the smell sometimes can turn me off. I like craft beers, and I'm really amazed at the variety that you can find in the state of Missouri. So. I'll have to, uh, you know, spend some time with somebody who can uh, teach me the intricacies uh, so that I'm going to appreciate the distilled spirits in the state of Missouri. Well, you'll have to come down to my distillery <laughs> then. I'll, uh, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a world-class class on, on whiskey tasting. Well, gentlemen, that about wraps it up. Any final words of advice for the small distiller wanting to pursue his dream? His or her dream? I would say just just go for it. It's great to see, you know, this is a time where there's the big ones are getting bigger and bigger, you know, on a national and international scale. But the nice thing is that you have small, more small options that will give you different varieties and different experiences and flavors, and that is something that, people can talk about and um, share and learn about. And I think that's great. And the obviously to just always consume wisely and carefully and, um, and enjoy the experience because you've got some great options out there that didn't exist 
10 or 12 years ago. Absolutely. Well, again, uh, gentlemen, I want to thank you for your time uh, and joining us on, you know, down in the whiskey holler. And uh, I'd like to get your, you said that you had an email you wanted to share with us and a, a yeah, phone number. Yeah. If, if anybody needs to get a hold of me, Mike O'Connell, uh, my email is Mike, M-I-K-E dot O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L at dps dot M-O dot G-O-V. And then my phone number for things that I might be able to help with is uh, 573-751-4819. And then Keith maybe can share the number for uh, to call ATC with general questions about licensing. Absolutely. Our number to call here would be 573-751-2964. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. And we want to thank you, Gary, for this opportunity. This was a a good experience. This is our first podcast, and uh, thanks for helping us uh, get the word out to the public about uh, what all is involved. And uh, and helping spread the word. Really appreciate it. All right. And it is likewise. Well, everyone, that wraps it up uh, in the Whiskey Holler. Uh, thank you for joining us. We just got done speaking with Mike McConnell and Keith Hendrickson. Uh, join us next week. We're going to be talking with the Master Distiller for Jack Daniels down in the Whiskey Holler. <laughs>